0: Welcome to Back in the Field, my name is Carl.
1: And my name is Arthie, and today we're talking about not a new episode.
0: I was dragged back from my semi-retirement in the Alaskan wilds to record this podcast, so as such I have no Brooklyn 99 things to speak about to you. However, Arthie's had a very event-filled life since we last left all you listeners in the void that is our absence.
1: I, I think. There, there's so much in that statement I don't even know where to begin, Carl. I've been
0: crafting it for, like, looks at Fake Watch three weeks. <laughs> or however long it's been, on do
1: It's true. I guess, like, because we record, like, that last episode we recorded, like, right after the episode aired, like, the day yeah. after. So it's been a really long time for us. Less long, I think, for our audience. Although by the time they hear this, it'll be...
0: Exactly the same.
1: <laughs> oh, no. I'm so bad at math and time, you guys. So, um... I guess we'll start with the first thing that happened, since that happened, like, right after we had r- decided to, like, do our recording that wrapped up sort of our time, like, before we kicked off hiatus, right? hmm So, I have a friend who works at HuffPost, um, the Huffington Post. They have a live division where they do, like, uh, streaming interviews with celebrities and stuff. And my friend Jeff, die- like, direct messaged me on Twitter, and he said, hey, I just got the call sheet for tomorrow and Chelsea Peretti is going to be on the show, like, do you want to ask her a question on air? And I was like, there is no universe in which I would say no.
0: (laughs) Except that then you spent like, 45 minutes freaking out to be on, like, Gchat about how you couldn't figure out what to ask her at all.
1: Well, like, it was true because it was just one of those moments where you're like, crap, right? Like, you had no indication, you have no time to prepare, what do you do? I mean, I guess that's, like, real journalists do this all the time.
0: Probably. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are really hard the first time you do them, and the first time you do them is in a high-pressure situation. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then it gets easier and easier and easier, until suddenly, instead of having, like, months and months to do it, you have to do it with, like, two days' notice, and this is happening to me right now. But that's neither here nor there, and it's the first thing I haven't announced yet to the world. I'm not announcing it through the back <laughs> in the field podcast. I'm sorry.
1: I see i I thought you were talking about a podcast Mm-mm. because we used to have like weeks and weeks of like we had plenty of lead time, right like we, because
0: we for a while we were just recording without releasing any podcasts.
1: <laughs> well, and also we were pre-recording, right? like we could do like two episodes at, an, at a time if we wanted, and in fact, we' combine a couple episodes in a couple podcasts.
0: Those are the days.
1: I kind of miss the healthy
0: on days of youth.
1: I kind of miss those days.
0: Everyone misses the healthy on days of youth, Arthie. <laughs> yes. Find a more original motivation.
1: <laughs> I get. Yeah, you're right. I uh, <laughs> also like nostalgia filter is on pretty hardcore. I feel like I wasn't being. I just had more time last summer.
0: You didn't count your hashtag blessings while you hashtag <laughs> had them.
1: <laughs> well played, girl. <laughs>
0: So how was the interview with Chelsea Brody? It
1: was pretty cool. So, like, what what we ended up, what Jeff ended up telling me was that I could either be on air live or I could pre-record a question and ask her. Um, And and I chose the pre-recorded option because the interview was, like, at 2 in the afternoon, which, like, was not going to happen. One, I'll fuck it up because that's who I am. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> one. One finger would indicate one.
1: <laughs> and B. No, I'm just kidding. Two. I would... <laughs> That's a D for me, hun. You have two hands. Switch hands.
0: So... <laughs> That's harder. B, D. Also, one. this is never a D. Yeah,
1: but this is a this is a lowercase D to me. With and it's two a, humps. Okay, well... It's
0: a problem, but it's not a D.
1: Okay, well...
0: <laughs> Maybe we should gif that or something So they know what the hell we're talking about
1: <laughs> I wish We should probably like Be more social media savvy right What's that like new Twitter video thing With the live casting Periscope Yeah I'm not doing Periscope I'm not doing Periscope
0: They expect Like I figured out how they make money off of it I'm pretty sure that phone companies Pay them to develop it So that everyone would lose All their money to data services Because like
1: Oh it's streaming video You're right Yeah it's
0: streaming video Of events that are happening Impromptu is the idea and how they're pitching it? Like you're walking along the street, and then flash mob and happens, and then and then flash mob and you're like, oh, I've got to stream this. Oh, I just racked up a thousand gigs of data streaming. Jesus, I don't know how you stream a terabyte in the afternoon, but I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs>
1: maybe some people. I have need, no idea
0: how Periscope.
1: Maybe some people have charmed lives. I mean, certainly when I when I talk about mine too flippantly, it sounds like I have one. <laughs> so so. I recorded my questions and, you know, Carl, you helped me ask one, and a couple of other people in fandom helped me ask one, ask a couple. Uh, Bonifer Hasty, I think you were one of them. Uh, Marcel, you know who you are. Yeah, specifically Marcella's ear on Twitter. I remember like bouncing ideas off of her and my friend Jasmine, um, also known as uh, Blueberry Gels on Twitter and Undisturbed on Tumblr. Anyway, I asked a few people, and my friend Danelle, shout out Danelle, maybe you'll finally reblog this podcast, I'm not going to put that in the final cut. Um, a couple of my friends had me ask a couple good questions, and they helped me craft them, and then I just did a quick like video in my office right before I left for work, uh, which is pretty great. And and I was wearing my Keith Herring sweater, which is, like, my favorite sweater. It doesn't matter. None of you care. So, I got to... The, I submitted You can't his.
0: see it, viewer, uh, listeners, but I've got a comedy-style Giant Shepherd's crook.
1: He does. It's kind of... It's almost threatening.
0: I think that maybe no one will get that reference. Because it it's was incredibly thing, right? antiquated <laughs> when, like, my parents were young.
1: Yeah. It's a vaudeville thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. But, like... Okay, sidebar, vaudeville is hilarious. Like, vaudeville is gen. I mean, not the blackface stuff. That stuff is terrible. But, like, the song and dance- Sidebar
0: is getting to a really good start.
1: (laughs) But that was- okay. Do you also
0: enjoy kinetoscopes?
1: Is that the, like, thing with the moving?
0: Yeah, it's one of the things with the moving. That's where kineto comes in.
1: Okay, well, is it that circular thing that looks like it's animated? Yep, yep. So, anyway- they aired one. Of, I submitted three questions. They aired one of them on air, and what was amazing was that the host was like, "The first question comes from RTD because that's my Twitter handle." Um, mm. Co-host of "Back in the Field," the Brooklyn Nine Nine podcast. So that was
0: really, really cool. The Brooklyn Nine Nine podcast.
1: It's technically
0: the best. Nine Nine podcast. The.
1: Can we claim official sanction?
0: I mean, we can claim it.
1: <laughs> Fox might come after us. People
0: have claimed more important things.
1: Like the island of Manhattan.
0: No, that was traded for. Like, you know, the status of Augustus. I've been listening to the History of Rome podcast a lot.
1: Oh my god, I cut so much of it out of the last episode.
0: It's coming back. <laughs> Now I'm on the Tetrarchy, where uh, a lot of people go around claiming Augustushood.
1: I was about to say, that's like post-Julius Caesar with the four and the five and everything?
0: It's post-Julius Caesar by like 300 years.
1: Oh, yeah, never
0: mind. The Tetrarchy was set up by Diocletian, where there were two Augusti and two Caesars, and then it did not last at all past his advocation. It, like, all broke down over the course of, like, one years. <laughs> Because one of the Augusti died, and then his son was elevated to Augustus, and then there was another power struggle, and one of the previous Augusti came back from retirement. It was a whole thing.
1: You should read The Bearkeeper's Daughter by Gillian Bradshaw if you can track down a copy. The book's been out of print for a long time, but it's set during the um, Justinian Theodora rule of the Byzantine Empire mm. and all of the like drama that surrounds that. And, like, the succession problems that were occurring at the time as well.
0: Yeah, I haven't gotten to the ER yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Although he doesn't, the podcaster doesn't go very, he doesn't go past the loss of Rome in his history of Rome. Although some people want him to do the Eastern Roman Empire in its entirety up through, like, what, 1340s, but he decided that he would not do that.
1: <laughs> Can't blame him, really.
0: Yeah, and uh, do another thing with his, the rest of his life instead.
1: Still, history is cool.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: So yeah, that's how I got to ask Chelsea Pretty a question. And I have all this hair. I mean, audience, if you care, you can go look up my Twitter. I've got selfies galore. Um, i got tons of selfies, and you can see all my and hair out. going somewhere. Yeah, so when I when they played my video on, on HuffPo Live, she because I was the first question, so it wasn't 100% clear what she was doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, she started, she was mimicking how the person in the video looked, so it wasn't 100% clear at first. So like, I had my hair out. Um, and, like, you know, I had it kind of forward and, like, it's very curly and kind of wavy. So it was out and forward. And she had her, like, hair, her hair curled and styled for the, you know, video. Because she's an actress and a star. And, uh, you know, as one does. And uh, so I saw, she started, like, mimicking how, they, how my hair was. Like, she pulled her hair forward and, like, was, like, fluffing it to get the volume.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice
1: pretty good. I, I, so you're you
0: know, a trendsetter now. Apparently. You're a hairstylist to the stars.
1: The most important thing here is that Chelsea Peretti knows my name. Knows our name and our podcast.
0: She knows your name our podcast name. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And she's on Twitter. Yeah. She. I bet she could Google it.
0: I, I'm sure she could Google it.
1: <laughs> I didn't mean that as condescendingly as it sounded.
0: No, no, no. I, <laughs> allow me to be condescending towards us. There's no reason she would Google it. No. She,
1: she might be intrigued, though.
0: She might be. Yeah. She might be.
1: I mean, the idea, like, you're, I mean, your show having that kind of following.
0: Chelsea Peretti, we think you're good at comedy, and your live show was great.
1: Yeah, we saw your live show, which we didn't talk about.
0: You made fun of my love of pretzels, and I accept that as a man. I understand it's my turn to listen and not talk about pretzels.
1: I really, I liked, I liked seeing her live performance because her, she did her Netflix special, and one was clearly informed by the other. Um and I don't know, I just it was nice to it was it was like the Netflix special came out just long enough after we, I mean
0: she she was clearly like workshopping the Netflix special's routine yeah. during that tour. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. What what I'm saying is what I was trying to say was just that like it the Netflix special came out just long enough after the live show that I was it was like kind of like nostalgia factor. It was like I got to watch the Netflix special, Oh yeah, I remember these jokes and live and she was great. It was just a good time. So, that happened what, like two and a half weeks ago? I don't remember. It was like two days after we a- recorded.
0: A lot has happened to me since we last recorded.
1: What happened? What's happened to you, Carl?
0: Well, I uh, braved the Alaskan wilds. Really? No, I didn't brave the Alaskan wilds. It's a bunch of like publishing stuff. The novella program is beginning to get up uh, off the ground, and there's a shit ton to do. Some of which is very glamorous, and some of which involves uh, data field manipulation. And no one wants to hear about that.
1: Like data entry and statistical analysis, or...?
0: No, just data entry. Oh, no. No, I mean...
1: But it's necessary.
0: Yes, apparently it is. No one will tell me what exactly is necessary. This is not the exciting part of, of the Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast.
1: I mean, occasionally... Look, one, not every podcast episode can be a winner, right? And two, I feel like our audience deserves to know what like you do. I talk about what I do all the fucking time.
0: In fact, they don't deserve anything from me.
1: That, you know, honestly, yes. They don't... No one deserves anything except the, the lot in life that they have so earned for themselves. But... What?
0: It's an interesting epistemology. Um...
1: Like, <laughs> can we... Should we unpack that? Like... Yeah.
0: Uh, since we last had a podcast, I've made some exciting acquisitions and taken some stuff to copy editing and gotten some novels ready... And I will be pitching them to our loyal listeners when it's possible to buy them, but that time is not yet.
1: Fair enough. Did you have a short story come out recently or no? Am I I have a short story
0: things? coming out next week. Okay, but cool. But the last one I had come out was, I edit short stories, among other things, and the last one I had come out was February 28th, What was it, was it called again? It was Schrodinger's Gun by Ray Wood, an author I discovered and has so far been the sole publisher of. Um, and it's a detective story, and a sci-fi story, so I think our listeners would really like it.
1: Yeah, it's a nice like intersection of like the the majority of fan culture, as well as our specific niche. I like it. I, I mm-hmm. haven't read it yet, I'm the worst, I realize this, but I like the idea of it. I read like the first like page of it, and I was like, this is great, I want to read this later. And then my job has just basically eaten up my entire yeah, life. Yeah.
0: I think that you, in particular, would really quite like it.
1: Yeah, it's it's everything you've told me about it makes me think it's exactly right up my alley. Like I love all those all the details you've told me about. It, I'm just like I love everything about that. I'm 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 actually reading a detective novel right now. I'm everything in my life is a problem.
0: I tried to get the author to write a uh, novella out of it, and he was like, "Meh." And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> tear.
1: <laughs> Single tear. <laughs> I've
0: you, had bigger worries.
1: Did you do anything for Easter? <laughs> yeah, I did true. not.
0: I ran an RPG. Oh, man. Wait. I almost killed two of my player characters.
1: God, then I feel really bad for not inviting you on Saturday.
0: Hmm? To the oh, venue. I was.
1: I felt like I tried to, and you were like, oh, I'm busy, and I was like, okay, never mind.
0: What did I do on Saturday? I did something on Saturday. I cleaned, for one thing. I think I had something uh, to do on Saturday, but yeah.
1: I can't remember. It's fine.
0: Among other things, planning that RPG session. <laughs> Fair enough. I almost killed two of my PCs. It was a very successful session.
1: I mean, the talk was only, like, 90 minutes, but it was, like, downtown and kind of, like...
0: I forget which talk this is.
1: Oh, this is where I met Lakshmi Sundaram.
0: Ah! So. Cool. Well, that's a smooth segue into the fact that Arthi met Lakshmi Sundaram, who we have hailed as one of the best writers on the show.
1: Yeah, and I... So, um, I should uh, tell writer the writer
0: st- of the Jimmy Jab games?
1: She wrote Sal's Pizza and the Jimmy Jab games, like, herself. Uh huh. And then she's co-written several episodes as well. Cool. Um, the Jimmy
0: Job I, Games was probably the most fun episode they've had.
1: So, so she was telling us. So, I attended. I'll tell the story better. So, my friend Lakshmi Gandhi is a writer, formerly of a online newspaper called the Aerogram, which was centered around South Asian women's uh, issues. So, I I really liked her publication. And she was the editor-in-chief of it, and, like, one of the primary content creators. So I just kind of friended her on Twitter, and we just connected. Like, we have a lot in common. We actually have a lot of sort of our superstar friends in common. And so a few weeks ago, she was like, Hey, uh, you need to come attend this with me. She sent me a link. And I was like, The the hell is this? And it was like some like, writer-symposium panel discussion, and I was like, I'm not... I mean, I was like, I'm flattered, but... And then I saw that Lakshmi Syndrome from Brooklyn Nine-Nine was scheduled to attend, and I was like, oh, this is why she was like, you need to attend this immediately. <laughs> so I I planned to attend, and, and she and I had lunch before, and during... Well, when we got to the place, we got there, like, maybe 15 minutes early. So they were still setting up, and the, the, the panelists were, like, kind of mingling amongst the audience, and um, Leksh- my friend Lakshmi and I were putting down... Our stuff, and I look up, and this woman kind of like waves at me from across the room, and I was like, I kind of wave back, like I'm not sure if I know her. So I put on my stuff and I walk over, and uh, and she goes, so I'm not really sure. I like waved at you because I thought I recognized you, but I'm not really sure if I do. And I recognized her voice because I had just listened or like re-listened to her "Yo is This Racist" uh, podcast. And I was like, you're Lakshmi Sundaram, aren't you? She's like, yeah. And I said, uh, well, you might actually know me, like, my name is Arthi Devanathan, I'm the, and she's like, you're with the one with the podcast, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and internally I was like, eee! so excited! <laughs> and of course I tried to, like, play it as cool as I could. But
0: so that sound doesn't make it sound like he succeeded.
1: No, I was like, see, internally screaming, um, the, like, hashtag Tumblr thing. Um,
0: hashtag Tumblr is not a no, very no. popular hashtag. The Tumblr hashtag thing, and, like <laughs> I know this, about the Tumblr. tags.
1: Yes. Let me try that again. Anyway, so I was like internally screaming, but I tried to play it as cool as possible. And like we got to talking, and she was like, "That's really cool that you do that." And I was like, "Yeah, I was curious if like you guys had heard about us because you know I know that like I've I've tweeted through the account at like Marshall Boone and Prentice Penny and like and I was telling her like how. I try to make, like, I try to be really respectful of them and their time and their conversations. And she's like, she thought that was really good of me, like, from the fan recognizing that there's, like, intended to be this, like, creative distance. Yeah. Which I was like, yeah, like, of course. Like, I think about, like, because I work in, in tech and, like, community management in my day job, and, like, I think about seeing, like, you know, at my old job I would have, like, random users who I didn't really interact with, like, be too excited with me, like, on Twitter, and, like, it was just weird and creepy and off-putting. So, like, I try to be respectful and, like, engage in a thoughtful, intelligent way as opposed to, like...
0: Just screaming.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, how I want I, to
0: be. I also know a bit about this. Like, just being slightly on the inside of a dialogue gives you that sense of separation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. E- even any time where you're inadvertently put into, like, the privileged position of, like, knowledge, you know what I mean? Not privileges in like, you know...
0: I mean, I got... What I'm talking about is my job, and I got my job on purpose. But I see what you're talking about. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, in, in my case, it's just, like, being in the know in some yeah, way. Yeah. 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 That kind of privilege, not, like, all... It the, is a privileged position. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she was actually talking... So she did a talk about... Um, the panel was about uh, writing, and, mm-hmm. like adapting screenplays and, like, doing a play and like, television writing. It was really cool. So she walked all, us through, like, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine writing process. And I... It was... So I'm going to warn our audience, like, you're hearing all of this effectively secondhand. So kind of take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, because, like... Remember, even though I was listening to this, like, with rapt attention, like, I didn't take notes. Like, that was sort of on me, but I wanted to, like, kind of be in the moment. And... Um, and, you know, also internally screaming, right? Mm-hmm. There's this high-pitched, like, dog whistle noise in the back of my head. So, uh, kind of take like what I say with a grain of salt. I'm going to try and remember, I'm going to do my best to, I remember the broad strokes. I'm not going to go into details unless I can remember for sure, like, that they're factual. So it was interesting that you mentioned the Jimmy Jab games, because she told us that that one was an episode where, like, they had the log line, which is, like, the one-sentence, dis- like, description of the episode... Like, so the example she gave was, like, Jake buys a new car. Like, that would be the logline of the episode. Right. And so she was talking about how with the Jimmy Jab games, they're like, these idiots play a bunch of games in the precinct.
0: <laughs> and they, and they, and
1: that's not literally what it was, but that's what I heard, which is fine. <laughs> and, um, and so they basically just sort of backtraced, like, okay, why would they be able to be alone in the precinct with no adult supervision? Yeah. Doing whatever they wanted to do. And the answer was well, if there's a motorcade, and well, if like so, it was actually pretty cool. And then, um, and then uh, they they did. She talked about how. So the what happens is the usually like it sounds like Mike Sure Dan Gore will come in and be like, okay, I want this log line, right? Like I want Jake to buy a car. And so he'll he'll like do that in the writing. He'll leave the writing room, and they'll put together like. Do you remember last summer when we saw that? picture on Instagram. Yeah,
0: the wall with all the things. The note cards. Yeah. That
1: is step one of this process.
0: I saw something like that. I don't know if it's still there. There's a um, there's a special exhibition at the Museum of the Moving Image right mm-hmm. now, which is Mad Men themed. Ooh. Which I don't I don't watch Mad Men It's mostly like costumes. But there is a recreation of the writing room which has this huge wall full covered in note cards with like color coded for different characters and ideas. I think you would get a big kick out of. Them.
1: I would almost certainly. Because just listening to her talk about their writing room and like the process made me a like really wish I could be like sort of an observer for like like a, a like a week basically and just kinda like observe and not necessarily interact or in, in offer of ideas but like which would be hard for me. But I would do my best to sort of just sit quietly in the corner. But it also like Reinforced my like personal belief that I would be not like I couldn't do that, right? like that's not a job I think I could actually
0: be in the writing room.
1: yeah, I don't think I could live live that life. I don't know if I could that it's so much like it feels like it's just so much all the time. on the other hand, if you love your job, you love your job, and she clearly does so she was so they basically put together this like bulletin board with, like, note cards of, like, story ideas, which explains the tweet that we saw of Prentice Pennies with the note cards. That's, like, super early on yeah. in the thing. And this also explains why none of those things ended up happening. Well, yeah. Because, or rather, like, broad strokes of those things end up happening. So that is, like, the first version of the thing that they put together. And then they they bring in the EP and they're, like, or this the showrunner, right, the head of the writing team. And they're like, all right, so this is the idea that we have for, like, the A-plot or whatever. Uh-huh. And they'll be like, yes or no. And if they say no, they take it down and start over. So I think probably with that one, they... Because he wouldn't have tweeted it unless he'd gotten a yes somewhere. Um, so he probably got the yes, but then the, then the situation changed. Um, so after that, they once the plot lines are set, uh, they'll fill in, like, a B and a C plot... Or, and the C plot isn't always like a plot sometimes it's called and she called it the runner which is like a running joke in the episode that they just sort of have to like tie everything together and then um, and then they write what's called a Goldilocks which is a, a a prose version of each plot line like separately individually they write like that Once that gets approved it goes to like the script like the, it, goes, it goes to like the scriptwriter and they like fix it up like, all right, these scenes go here, and then, you know, this is how we segue from the A to the B plot, and then this is how, like, we come back, and here's where the commercial break will happen. Like, stuff like that. Cool. And then, after that, uh, and sometimes there might be jokes and stuff, like in the, they do, like, a really intense outline, and then they go to script, um, and then they go, from there it gets, goes into the joke room, where it, like, gets punched up, I guess.
0: Where are they put um, the jokes in?
1: Yeah, well, not all of them. Like yeah, some of them get. Rid it's of just of a
0: bunch. I'm imagining a bunch of people like be proud of the mistake until they make a joke happen. <laughs>
1: uh, she jokingly called it the Dorito room.
0: Okay, my my ideas are uh, un unbothered by this.
1: So when she said this about the joke room being like just filled with Doritos and a bunch of people thinking up jokes, I thought of. um all the pictures that Chelsea Peretti was tweeting, um, about Harris Whittles, right around the time he died, of, like, them being in the Parks writer's room. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, like, that that's, like, cause this is, this sounds like this is sort of how the the Greg Daniels family of writing, like, sort of tends to run, right? So we start with The Office, and then we have, uh, the, um...
0: need to be a little louder. <clears throat>
1: Uh, it started with the office, and now and then Parks and Rec, and now B Nine right? So, um, so yeah, so um, that from there, once the once all the scripts are approved and everything, they do um, I I know that they do a table read. She didn't mention this, but I know that table reads happen. Then they do; they'll eventually do a rehearsal in the scene, and then they'll do and and the writing. One of the writers of the script will be on stage during this time, kind of overseeing how the script is being portrayed, basically. Right. And she's talking about how it's actually really... The most important job of the writer is to know the episode as a whole. Because the actors are often shooting the scenes out of order, or like, you know...
0: With Without a, like... With a confused view of the context.
1: Yeah. Like, they've read the whole script in order. Yeah. But they're filming it often out of order. Yeah. And so it creates...
0: A sense of discontinuity.
1: Exactly. And so the writer's job on set is to remember that sense of continuity. And so, like, the actors are not allowed to change any parts of the dialogue without the writer being, like, accepting the change. Um, they, they also will, like, pitch new jokes for the script, like, in the moment. Like, if a line of dialogue was funny, like, you know, <laughs> I, I think of sometimes, like, on when, when you hear about Star Night Live people being like, sometimes what was really funny to you at 2.30 in the morning was not at all funny at, like, 10.30 right. in the morning. <clears throat> and so...
0: I wonder how that could have happened.
1: I don't know. But sometimes what, something you, like, write at 2.30 in the morning no, is hysterical. No, I know hysterical. exactly
0: why that would happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but sometimes what you write at 2.30 in the morning is fucking hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always, but sometimes you get that magic moment. So, so she, it was really cool, like, just listening to her, like, though, they pitch jokes, they, like, do different, like, alternative takes. They always, she said they always do a take of what is scripted. Then they'll do alternative takes with, like, different lines or different, like, placements. And then they'll do what's called the fun run, which is, like, the improvised, they'll let the actors sort of improvise through the thing. Because if they, they always get the script, because, like, if they improvise and miss the mark or miss the beat, then it's, like, SOL, right? So... It's just, and then, like, you know, they sit in the editor's room together. And something that was really interesting was that all of them, because they're all, like, writers of things that other people put on. Like, one was a screenwriter, one was a television writer, one was a playwright. And they were all Columbia MFAs. That was sort of the reason that they got this specific group together.
0: Right.
1: Was that they all said something that I thought was really interesting, which was that. The script lives and dies during the writing process. Then it lives and dies during the portrayal process—the acting, the like, actual like portrayal of it—and then it lives and dies again in the editing room. I thought that was really interesting because, like, you know, sometimes sometimes I feel like that about our podcast, where I'm like, like, super done with like either the episode of the show or like you know the conversation that we're having in the middle of it. Um,
0: we don't spend a lot of time in the writers' room.
1: Yeah, we don't, we hardly are in the writer's room. Although, but, like, for the first season of both the podcast and of the show, we did a lot of, like, sort of writer's room stuff. We did a lot of, like, pre-talking and, like, planning and stuff. And then, we, at this point, we barely, <laughs> I feel like we barely planned. We're like, let's just go. So, it was just really, it was just really interesting. So, like, she talked about, like, group scenes and how those are actually the hardest. So, they call them, um, killing fields. Uh, because, like, you know, it, I think it's called, I would guess, they're called Killing Fields because every joke's punchline is called a bomb. So, like, when you have a, a group scene like that, everyone gets, like, um, like... Everyone
0: bomb. gets to drop a bomb.
1: Yes. And, you know, if at the end you end up with this, like, all the field. A, a barren field.
0: Maybe that's why.
1: I would guess. I don't know. Metaphors. I don't fucking know. Either way, they, so she read us a bit from the Jimmy Jab games, um, where everyone's like in the briefing room, and Holt and Terry are like. So there's motorcade and blah blah blah. and There's been a delay, and we have to go to One Police Plaza. So they leave, and then you know it's the one, it's the part with the joke about uh, Armand Jimmy Jab being. Be yeah, exactly, and I love that joke. Um, and they were she was she read from the script that Jake says when the king of Iraq. Ar- Arma and Jimmy Job um, and she, cor- and then Rosa corrects him in the script, both parts in one line. Right. Whereas, like, here they broke it up, like, in the air version. Yeah. And that wasn't done in editing. Apparently, um, the actress, Stephanie Beatrice, was like, it's too hard to say. Like...
0: You're saying all at once, President of the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: Like, it was just, like, it wasn't Flowing. Yeah, it didn't feel natural, so they broke it up, and it worked much better. Plus, it has yeah. like that nice, like punchy feel to it. I feel which
0: is characteristic of Rosa.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: She wouldn't wait until he is finished making his mistake to correct him.
1: Yeah, exactly. There, there was also the before that though. Holt and Terry walk out of the room, and you see Jake kind of like stand up and crane his neck and kind of go, God, guys, 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 in that, like, well, for us it's a stage whisper, but, like, we're expected to believe that in-universe it's a whisper-whisper.
0: Are we? Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> usually, so, so, usually stage whispers are not, are intended to be whisper-whispers, like, in, in the universe of I the know space. about
0: suspension of disbelief.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> I said to the fiction editor. <laughs> to the science fiction editor.
0: Vis- uh, visual and, and like performative media are different from written media.
1: True. But the idea of the suspense... You have to either buy in or you don't, right? Like, that's how all stories work. Either you're in or you're out. All stories. Yeah. Say for history. (laughs) No. Puns, too, apparently. So, she, she said that that part in the script, it's written just with Jake being like, guys, guys. Like, no, not even like... I'm overdoing it because... The change that was made was made because she was not. So, Lexy Sinden was saying she was on set, and she was like, she thought about. She's like, it doesn't make sense for Jake to just say something at full volume, like, "Come around, let's do a thing. I have an idea," because she was saying, like, you know, Holt and Terry have just left the room, right? If Jake were to speak in like full voice in that scene, she was saying, like, you know, the natural expectation is for Holt and Terry to come back in and be like, "What are you doing, Peralta?"
0: That is something that they have developed over the course of history, because I've been watching a shit-ton of Friends, and people just have really loud conversations in the same room as the person they can me secret from in every episode. And, yeah. Yeah. Better well, tech here. Well,
1: I think, I think also naturalism has become more important to the television audiences like, Well, especially
0: now. since it's no longer laugh track comedy.
1: That has fallen out of favor, yeah. yeah
0: there's a lot of um, alienating effects in Friends.
1: Well, especially if you're, like, a modern, like, now-era TV yeah. viewer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a very... There are a lot of shows from the 90s that I have a lot of trouble watching nowadays. Just because, like, the style is so different. Um, Mad About You is actually a really good example. I can't... Like, the, the Helen Hunt show... I can't, don't worry. The point of the story is that that show is done in a really way, in a way that's like really weird, I feel, for an audience now. Some of those older shows just don't, it's not that they don't quote unquote travel well, it's that, you know, the aesthetic is just something really different for us now. Whereas, like a show like Happy Days, which is not very naturalistic and has a laugh track, or The Dick Van Dyke Show, which has a laugh track and is naturalistic in certain specific ways but not in all ways, is, um... Those don't feel as jarring to me. But I feel like on some of those older sitcoms, because the tech was, like, so, like, less, when they were doing things like, you know, they're having secret discussion or, like, kind of a quieter conversation, they would, like, bring the camera in really close. So you got the sense that even though they were speaking at full voice, it was intended, the effect was, like, they are speaking very quietly because we're in a huddle, you know? So the point being was she was like okay well she was she said when she was on set all these things occurred to her it's like so she said she pulled Sandberg aside and was like hey can you try it like in a loud whisper because <laughs> she didn't want to think the sound guy's lives hell yeah yeah and so you know she was like can you kind of like crane your neck and pretend like you know like watch act like you're watching them kind of leave the room and like you're doing something that's like kind of secretive because you are and it made the it gave the whole scene the right like sort of like
0: Immediate tension.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Even, even, and, and she was saying, like, even giving the stage direction of, like, you know, whisper here or whatever, it changes the body language. Yeah. And it, it affects the entire scene from there on, and I thought that was really cool. Um, So it was just really awesome listening to that. So, like, she she talked a lot about the script and the process and everything, but one of the things that I thought was probably most interesting for our audience, because I know we have a lot of, like, the fic writers for, um the fandom, kind of, who also listened to our podcast. Um, one thing she said was, like, that I thought was particularly cool was that, you know, coming from the writers' room, they all have a very different perspective on the characters than we as the audience do. Um, and, and she explained it differently than what I'm going to say. But, you know, what I feel like she was going for was that so these writers, like, these characters have, like, a 24-hour life, you know? And, and, and they, as the writing team, are aware of this and are sort of having this thinking in the back of their minds. Like, they, they know that these people, th- these characters, like, are, you know, they're people. They're comedy, like, sort of, you know, tropes at times, but they're also, like, people. They're characters. And so, like, for us, like, from the from the viewer perspective, like, you and I have intuited some of, I think, these things, just because...
0: We think about them a lot.
1: Yeah, and, you know, you come from, like, a literary critical position, and I come from, like, like a lot of, like, television knowledge, right? And so you see, I think both of us are coming at this from specific critical standpoints that allow us to intuit some of these, like broader ideas about these characters that we don't necessarily know for sure, but we can guess or figure. So one thing she mentioned specifically was something that you and I have kind of talked around a little bit on this show, or on, on this podcast, about this show, which is that one of their fundamental truths about Jake is that Jake never will want to be captain.
0: Good. We, we figured it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've, we've talked about that. Like, we've talked about, like, maybe he'll go to the FBI or something, but that, that... Yeah, yeah. But
0: he doesn't want to be captain. No. He doesn't want to be an authority figure. No.
1: Amy does, but yeah, Jake obviously. does not. And if Jake ends up being captain, and she was, Luxury Syndrome was saying, like, it, it's either the end of the show or something fundamental has changed in that character. Like, yeah. But, but Jake is, like, a brilliant detective, and his whole thing is that like he likes being on the ground solving puzzles. That was established in the pilot, and, and when she said this, it, like, clicked for me. Like, I saw it, like, we had talked about it, but it was nice to not only have that, like, codified, I guess, because it it is effectively, like, Word of God, right? The the trope Word of God, where it's, like, it's coming from people who are directly involved with the show, who have direct control over which direction the show goes. So it was really interesting. When she said that, I was like, that is, one, that was validating for us, right? Because our analysis has moved in that direction. But it was, two, it was, like, one of those things where it's, like, that's not something that the show ever has stated explicitly. Yeah. But we see it in every one of Jake's actions, right? I mean, I'm sure that there are other truths about Jake that we've intuited. Things like he is actually Charles's friend. Yeah. Like like he views Charles as like a that, valuable that's person. That's
0: not like a secret though.
1: No, 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 no. But it's like never
0: it, it is said explicitly in a variety of ways.
1: True, true. Uh-huh. Like
0: he, he considers him a brother. True. true. Voluntarily. <laughs>
1: I guess they did codify that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but like, there are these other things about these characters. There are points
0: at which we were intuiting that.
1: Yeah. I I actually said to her something that you and I have talked about on the podcast, which is that the episodes... I said to her, it was like, Carl and I have noticed... Carl. <laughs> i Carl. I like, Carl, my co-host, and I have noticed that one of the... One of the things about your episodes that always stands out is that in in them very often Rosa and Amy have like a really strong like you know colleagues and friendship like bonding moment and we appreciate that because that's it It shows us it's a small thing but it's so consistent in the episodes you write that it's like something you clearly care about she's like yeah I I do I'm glad you noticed that like it was nice it was just nice Um,
0: sounds like a fun time
1: yeah, but she was she was super sweet and super nice, and I like, tweeted about it. <laughs> this part I'll put keep. So I tweeted about it after it happened, and Marshall Boone was like, "Who?" <laughs>
0: Wait, what?
1: <laughs> he was like, "Which one?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, actually, me in there when I tweeted the picture of like the panel that I had, and he was like, <laughs> he, did the, he did the like Twitter cool and I'm like ah, the see some sorry face, and then he was like." <laughs> and he was like, he was like, she's, she's so cool.
0: <laughs> I was
1: like, she is really cool. Oh, it was great. It was just such a great experience to like meet this person because it was just like it was a great panel first of all. All three, it was an all female panel and all women of uh, South Asian women. So like people, who, women who look like me, and who were doing this thing that like I've often like debated if I should just quit my job and
0: do. You gotta cut that part. <laughs>
1: Well, I debated that when I was, like, first moving to New York, right?
0: So. Okay.
1: All these three women were doing this thing that, like, you know...
0: That you value so highly.
1: Yeah, and then I wish I had the gumption to sort of, you know, drop everything and do myself as well, you know? And, and I find excuses for not, but these people haven't. They've pursued that, and I admire that very greatly. So it's great to hear their perspective, both, like as intelligent people who are really, like, thinking deeply about their work, but also, like, as women of color in an industry that has historically excluded us, both in the U.S. as well as even in India, right? Like, it's not like I could just go to India and, like, be like, all right, I'm going to make movies here with my American money, and they'd be like, no, you're still a woman, you're still less valuable to us in this society. So, like, you know, there's all this, like, politic around it, but it's, it's just pretty, it was just great, the panel was really great. She was great to talk to me for so long. And it was just such a great experience. So I'm I'm glad I got to that. I'm glad that, like, I found out that, like, apparently the writing staff knows who we are, kind of. Like, knows about our podcast. No pressure. No pressure.
0: We'd better like some episodes, (laughs) too.
1: She was saying that the last run is really good. Like
0: I I wouldn't be at all surprised.
1: No, no. Um, She was also saying that uh, episodes with two writers had to get done faster. Hmm. Which makes me actually wonder about um, Lockdown. Because Lockdown is a single writer. Interesting. But it's also one of their, like, head writers. Like, he's also, like, a producer for the show. She was also saying that, um, so they start writing again in May. So the writing staff comes back in May, but production will start up again in July. Uh-huh. And we're going to be on hiatus for most of that. I
0: <laughs> no,
1: can't. But part of it is also, like, the the scheduling for the production will be, uh, like, thrown off because Samberg got host uh, announced that he's hosting the Emmys.
0: Right.
1: And those are in September.
0: Right, right. And
1: I believe from, like, interviews with Seth Meyers and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler that, like, it's, like, a month of work. Huh. So, like, August is, like, when they're filming. And he's, like, going to be helping writing the show. Like, that's sort of one of the host duties is to write all the, like, monologues and everything, and like the stuff that people say off the teleprompters and, and, you know, the opening jokes and things like that, and like coordinating...
0: Emmy stuff.
1: Yeah, the whole presentation, right? Like, th- it's a production. You end up, as the host, you're like part of the production, I guess. And so, like, yeah, he, obviously his two Lonely Island co-colleagues, um, Akiva Schaefer and Yorma Tacone, are gonna, Takone? Takone? Whatever that Yorma, Yorma and Keith are going to be, like, helping him, because that's how they function. Like, yeah. But, like, it's still, like, he's, he can't be doing, they might be, like, down the block from each other, but he can't be doing both. Like, he literally can't be physically too close at once. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, it, they, she, she kind of hinted that, like, season two might have...
0: Weird release schedules?
1: I guess, yeah, or something's gonna, they might get delayed in their premiere, might get pushed back to October for that reason.
0: Or maybe Jake will go into a coma.
1: So, so... Oh
0: my god, I hope not. Well, <laughs> he
1: can't. And you know why? Because she said that the A-plot is always the one that the lead character is in. So yeah. Jake... Well, yeah, and we know that. That's like an obvious thing. But like we... we, The, the Boyle-Linetti wedding, for example, right? I guess technically, Jake and Amy's plotline is the A-plot. Technically. Yeah.
0: That's some news I had. I got followed on Twitter by Melissa Joan Hart.
1: Really? Yeah. How?
0: Well, she has 175,000 people that she's following, so I'm guessing that there's no, like, single human at all involved in that account in a kind of exclusive being-a-person basis, because <laughs> um. Um, no one would ever read a timeline with 175,000 people on it. I have no idea how she found me.
1: He must have tweeted something that her team is following.
0: I really didn't.
1: I don't know. That's that's crazy, though. Yes. So, um... So, yeah. Uh... Uh... uh our, our... We were saying about the Boyle and Eddie wedding. Oh, I asked her about improvised. So I got a chance to ask her a question. Like, yeah. as part of the panel. And I asked her about, like, scenes, like, in the Jimmy Job games, where... You know, Melissa Femera told us, the audience, that the, are you saying I knocked you up? Like, bit on the balcony or whatever, smoking yeah. patio, is was improvised. And she said that it was originally scripted, um, and then they did, like, several takes, and they did alternate takes as well. Um, and then they... She was saying that they've worked with this team enough at this point that they can sort of intuit when they'll want to riff themselves, like, mm-hmm. do, do an improvised bit. And so they they let the actors do a fun run. They do let them do yeah. the improvised take. You and were this, talking
0: about a fun run earlier.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mentioned that earlier. So the fun run is just like the one where they get to the actors get to sort of sort of let loose and try and improvise and sort of react naturally in the scene. And uh, they allow that they, they like that take so much, obviously, if they kept kept it in the final cut. But it it also makes me wonder <laughs> what the various proposal scenes fun runs look like certainly for like the bets proposal scene there's that that one would have been ridiculous they'd have to clean up all the confetti <laughs> and like do it again um but uh surely they
0: don't they don't do like feeling a fun run with something with that no that, heavy uh, setup yeah clean up thing
1: probably not I would hope not there are certain things you can only get one take of right like I know in um there's an indie movie from a couple years ago with Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt where Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character gets gets diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And he has to shave his head. And the actor's like, I'll do it. So they got one take of him going... <laughs> and Seth Rogen making like, that's my balls trimmer. Like, Seth R- it sounds bad when I say it like that, but it was actually like... It was clearly like his character Rogan's character in that movie is actually trying really hard to stay cheerful despite like this like impending tragedy of his friend possibly dying so it's actually like that's like the moment where it's like really real for his character and so like seeing his friend like shave his head and so he's like trying to keep the mood light but it's also like oh this is actually happening um so yeah uh back to back to Brooklyn 9 this was a really cool event and I'm really glad we did this and I'm also really tired of talking so I hope everyone enjoyed my couple stories here. That's this is literally the only reason we broke hiatus. That was pretty cool. My like, experiences. Yeah. I should have. I'm sorry. I, should, I feel like I. I feel really bad because I swore I asked you. Like in my head, I think I asked you, and you were like, oh, "I'm busy. Sorry, bye."
0: No, I was like, you know,
1: I. I like texted you like in the middle of the panel. I was like, "Carl, she knows who we are." <laughs>
0: No, I was excited at that point. Yeah, I
1: saw you like you put a lot you put a bunch of exclamation points. That's like real it. excitement for you. <laughs> even one is real excitement for you, Carl.
0: Yeah, one is real excitement, uh, multiple or for and kinda of comedic effect generally. Yeah. But comedic- comedy springs from excitement or something. I swear I can be an excited person. You even can if I do always sound like this.
1: You are though. Like Like, if you, one, if you weren't energetic at me, and two, if you couldn't handle my energy, this wouldn't work, right?
0: You don't really have to assure me on air. I I remember about podcasting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Carl, why do you have to deny my true nature? there's molas to feed. Oh my god. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's basically why I broke hiatus, is because a couple cool things happened in in Arthie's life. And I had to tell everybody about these cool things. Because they were really cool. They They were really really cool. cool. Yeah. All right. Well, from all of us to all of you.
0: This has been Back in the Field. My name is Carl.
1: And my name is Dorothy. Thanks for listening. And, uh, okay.
0: We'll see you in the indeterminate future.
1: Yes. All right. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye.